This is Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm an entrepreneur who's passionate about all things business. As a trained economist with consulting background, currently working to educate business professionals in a college setting, I constantly gather information, advise my clients, teach students, and train people with the best practices. In this podcast, I will provide intelligence in business management, economic and data analysis, digital marketing, and international business strategy. Let me help you navigate the complexity in this challenging and dynamic business world. This is Business Intelligence Podcast. And I am Dr. Wei Chun Wang. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm here with my partner Joey the Gangji, but today we're gonna do something really special、um, because we. Happened to record our conversation the other day about leadership, and we thought that this is something that really insightful, and hopefully that you would enjoy listening to our conversation. What's leadership, Joey? I, I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, it, it, it can it, there's so many different things that go into it. It's how you organize your yourself on a very personal level. It's how you organize others on a very like kind of like macro level. Like there's it, it takes all different kinds of forms. Can leadership be taught? That's that's the key question. I mean, no, I, it's I, tough. I, I'm I'm kind of getting sick of people talking about great leadership、um, represented by, you know, for example, people like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, because、uh, we're we're also com- we're always commenting on successful business people, right? Right.、Um, and you know, from all the stories that、um, available、uh, in the public domain, some people argue that Steve Jobs was a horrible leader. Uh, in terms of how he treated、um, his workers and coworkers or colleagues, right? And I think that's part of the problem. You start to use like a, a one size fits all definition of leadership. I mean, you look at like the personalities of Bill Gates versus Steve Jobs. Right. You're you're on completely opposite ends of the spectrum, but both, in their own view, like depend on how you view it. Both are successful leaders. Both have created successful companies. Right. But they're not. They're certainly not the same types of personality. I mean, I've had a lot of friends who wanted to become business owners or entrepreneurs for the pure reasons that they don't want to work for people. They they, right, they don't right, want to、right. be boxed in, and they they really dislike the lifestyle of、uh, having to report to work at some hour and then to,、uh, you know having to take responsibilities. I always loathe that mentality. I mean, you I don't think that makes a, a successful business owner to have that mentality to begin with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I.、I'm, I hope that you would agree that you know being a business owner, you actually respond to the needs for more people. You're actually responding to more bosses than before. Oh yeah, of, of course. About you know, you, you think one or two managers is, is difficult. Imagine your, all your different shareholders, your customers, your department heads. Depending on how high up you are in the organization, how big it is. I mean, you've got easily twice the amount of people you have to answer to on a daily basis. So let me ask you the question. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I mean. Is it the title that attracts you,、um, saying that you're a founder or CEO of a company, or or I don't know,、um, uh, or a manager of a project? Is it, is it the title that drives you, 
to become an entrepreneur? Because I know some people, they, they were driven by titles. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, some people go, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm the CEO. Well, how many people are there? One. <laughs> what, what, what does that mean then? Yeah. What, what, what does CEO mean when you, when you put that on your, on, your, on your LinkedIn description? But no, no, for me, it was, I, I was, the, the title didn't, you know, had, didn't attract me. I would say I was almost reluctant in a sense where I, you know, I, I so my, my first company I started, you know, that got me into my whole entrepreneurial life was, it was because I have life-threatening food allergies. And I was in a college class, no less, just coming up with solutions that I thought would be able to make people's lives better and safer that have this life-threatening condition. And after kind of coming up with the idea, I was like, well, you know, I, this is a really good solution. I really think that people need this. I guess, I guess I have to, you know, kind of, I, I should start a company around trying to deliver this value. And that, that was what got me into it. And then that was, you know, it was, it was just after that. So I really like the mentality of, of problem solving, right? So you were trying yeah. to solve the problems and, you know, I think at the end of the day, you realize that you need to have a structure to really solve that problems at scale. And so you were trying to organize resources and, and all that. And I think that that links back to the leadership conversation uh, or the question that I, I ask you. Um, so it's really not the leadership quality that you were pursuing. You, you right. are trying to organize this. You're just trying to organize resources available to you to accomplish your goals, which is to solve the problems that you have. Right. That's why, you know, why, why, why you start the company. You need the structure around it. Joey DeGangi on his own only has certain skill sets and can only deliver certain parts of the product and, and only go so far. But if you have a structure, you know, this entity where you can incorporate all these other parties, all these other professionals, you can you can get them all under one kind of one roof. And that's where you how you solve the problem so in my case it's working with different engineers and and other uh you know people on you know the financial side all, all these different sides of the you know the business world that you need support with you can pull them together if you have a business around it but still just trying to create that value and deliver it so what is your core value i mean as a as a person right because we talked about titles and clearly you're not motivated by titles and I, I kind of had this example, and we joke about this all the time, in that, you know, if there was a brick that falls under, <laughs> from yeah. the sky in Wall yeah. Street, everybody that the brick hits would either carry a founder title or a VP title. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so the titles really don't mean anything. So what is the core value that you're trying to deliver here? Because um, I know that you have a business background, and, and it, it seems like the uh, entrepreneurial endeavor of yours involves, you know, all these different... Um, fields of knowledge and uh, it requires just you know uh, sometimes beyond what you were trained for to deliver the solution that you want what what is the core value that you you possess that warrants um, the attention from the marketplace right so in, in in that context my my value is just being able to facilitate communication between different teams so you know I, I have conversation earlier where I was meeting with a team of um, of, of professionals who are working on uh, a website engineering component of that's part of our company, and then their job uh, directly goes back and forth with the software team in Taiwan that we work that that is developing the mobile app that we have, and so my job is just keeping the communication open between the two, making sure that they're all on the same page. Even if I don't understand the work that either party is is doing, I couldn't get there. You know, I couldn't get into the weeds and do the technical work. My job is organizing the resources to make the technical work possible. 
I really think that you touch a, on a very good point that I was trying to um, make um, is that I don't think I can be all things all people. Right. right? And I don't yeah. think you can be all things all people. Of course not. Um, but recognizing that we cannot be all things all people actually requires a lot of courage yeah. because it, it requires you to admit that you're weak in yeah. some aspects. Yeah. That you cannot deliver um, some things that you deem important. That you need to rely on help from other people. Yeah, yeah, I think that's why people that start a business with the, with the sole purpose of solving a problem are going to be able to have an easier time leading that type of way versus someone that doesn't want to rely. They they want only rely on themselves. It makes it a lot harder to to see your own your own shortcomings. Um, but I think it's it's normal that you know you you live in a world that when everybody have different goals you know some people are chasing titles some people are right. chasing um the sense of accomplishment not necessarily just money and some people are chasing money mm -hmm. right um how do you amass support when you're in an environment where people have all these different goals to accomplish what you want to accomplish right um and and, and i think that's that's what the uh, that that's what calls for the entrepreneurial spirit yeah yeah that's um yeah so you know i i really don't think that you know when people said that oh you know what i can never be an entrepreneur i really think that um everybody is an entrepreneur and and you just don't know about it right i mean yeah you just don't know it and until uh you are called upon to implement uh, something brand new and then you realize oh you know what I, I better do research i better understand try to understand the process better for all the entrepreneur for all the entrepreneur friends that I have, I feel like they 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 have this one common thing, um, and and I real I later realized that I have something that's very similar to them as well. That is, we see um, the pursuit of entrepreneurship as a lifestyle. Yeah, um, and and that lifestyle requires you to have boundless energy um, to have this. You know, very strong and dedicated that determination to trying to try to solve problems. So yeah, I, I mean, I think like I, I mean, I was on the job market a couple of years ago when I was graduating college. Every, look at every single job description; they want problem solvers that can communicate and self-disciplined. I mean, every, yeah, everyone has to be an entrepreneur in, in some way, shape, or form. Not everyone has to start their own business. I don't think the I don't think they're mutually exclusive. That gets so lame. I, I hate reading the job descriptions. Oh nowadays. yeah, it's all the same. Right, because it's all the same. And 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 quite honestly, as as uh, <laughs> as a person that runs a business, um, yeah, you know, everybody I want to hire, especially when, you know, we're at a relatively early stage of business development. Everybody I want to hire, I want to hire utility players. I want to hire people right. that could cover all these different dimensions, right? Um, for senior positions, obviously, I want experts. I want yeah. you know people that specialize in certain skills. But for especially for entry level positions, for young professionals, you need to cover so many different grounds, right? Absolutely. And yeah. and I think there's a disconnect between how we're being trained in school, yeah, and what the industry is looking for, right? Because everybody graduates from college with a major. Yeah. To me, that is so lame. Because at the end of the day, yes, you graduate college with perhaps a business degree or engineering degree. That's all good and sound. 
But at the same time, you're not supposed to be only doing business work or engineering work. If you box yourself in, then you're work, you're going to be working in in silos. Yeah, that's that's really tough. I mean, if you're like if you're if you're getting off the job board and you and you, and you think of the world just kind of like in these independent like positions, like you, you think about it only in the context of what you learned in your major. I mean, you're not they're going to need people that can cover more ground than you. So entrepreneurial spirit actually calls for, in my personal opinion, interdisciplinary training. Oh yeah, it's essential. Right. So, but how do you train yourself? Right. So, um, Joey, talk about your your software company endeavor. Right? right. You created this software company that tries to solve your allergy problems, and uh, you want to scale it up. Um, but at the same time, you know, you came from a business background. You don't have any engineering background. Um, how do you teach yourself? Yeah, I mean that's like the, the interdisciplinary approach. It's just you know you have to be open. You have to have an openness, a willingness to learn new things, and just for the sake of getting things done. You know, I, I do. I wanted to introduce software that could. You know, at the time the first thing I started with was helping people translate their food allergy in different countries. I was like, well, it, it you know it needs to get done. I'm the one that's. I, I, if it's not me, who else is it? So I have to take on this project. And so for me, that was watching hour and hours of tutorials and then talking to some of the engineers and that, that, was, that, was, that was connected with, like pick, picking their brains and trying to ask them to teach me little things here and there. But it's just that, just kind of like that realization that it ha- the, the project has to get accomplished. So you have to fill whatever need comes up. So is it true that, you know, really what differentiates you know, entrepreneurs and non-entrepreneurs is the mentality. Is it true? I, I, I think that's the biggest thing, yeah. So you're not working for a paycheck, because clearly, you know, if you're employing yourself, there is no paycheck, right? I mean, you're, right. you're working to solve a problem, and hopefully that the market will respond favorably to give you enough financial support so that you could carry on with your life. Right, yeah. You, you, know, you, you have the, the dream of a paycheck down the road, but you start to solve a problem. It's that mindset that starts that that forms the foundation of the company and then going from idea to product to actual business requires problem solving the whole way through but it's that same mindset that gets you through each stage and I've recently come across this new term called intrapreneur right um, and I think a lot of companies are catching on with um, with what we just talked about yeah. in that they, they don't just want to hire people with certain skills they want to hire people that could potentially create the next big thing yeah for the, for their company and organizations, um, and and I I really think that the companies are not looking for much, right? Because um, we have a, a drastic we have had a drastic change in the work environment at this point. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, for one thing, look at the pandemic. Everybody is oh, of course, yeah. trying to adapt and you know being used to this uh, remote working environment utilizing technology and all and I, th- I really don't think that the companies are asking for too much um, because who knows I mean the products and services that you are providing today might be very by might very much be obsolete um, right you know in the next quarter or even next month right and that's why having someone that can only build that product for example isn't going to be as valuable as someone that's trying to solve problems that that product happens to, to deliver on right now that mindset, you know, you're always looking for the, the new solution, new, better ways to do things. That mindset's what carries you through, even if 
your current product, your current services become obsolete or, or need, need some type of adjustment. Right. And I think people have this general misunderstanding thinking that, oh, I got to have this, you know, great new thing that nobody has ever done before, before I could become an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, nah, that's that's wrong, right? Yeah. I, I remember back in the nineties, there's a there's a very interesting business book called Blue Ocean Strategy, mm. which gave the term uh, life. Right? Right, Blue right, Ocean right. Strategy talks about how uh, you know business owners should identify a field where um, the opportunities are untapped, um, and and that's when you could find true success. Um, and, uh, and, the, and the author argued that uh, most business owners are drawn in the red ocean uh, right. because it's all blood, right? Yeah, Everybody's yeah. fighting. Um, but let's just be real. Like how, how, how many blue oceans are out there, right? It's really not much. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so different to find something that's like truly, truly novel. Yeah. So it's not necessarily just, uh, you know, coming out with new products or services, you could see that there are a lot of companies that, are, that focus on renovating the process yeah. of delivering services or products. You know, think about Grubhub, think about um, Uber, think about Airbnb. Um, you yeah, know, Airbnb yeah. doesn't even own any hotel rooms. Uber, Uber doesn't even own any fleet yeah. of, of cars. Um, it's not a transportation company. Um, so it's the process innovation that, that, that actually gets them the edge. Um, and if you want a little bit more traditional example, look at hotels, right? Right. Like hotels don't um, have their own brands of mattresses or or TVs or or cabinets. Um, uh, you know, if, even if they want to build a swimming pool, they have to rely on third party to build that pool for them. Yeah, there's all those different ways to innovate and, and deliver value. I mean, look at if you can go back to Ford with with the, yeah. with, the main, with the assembly line. I mean that. He didn't invent the car. Exactly. It was just a, a better way to deliver that value to someone. Right, right. And, you know, I think, it, again, it goes back to the mentality, right? So if you recognize entrepreneurs as just one type. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That by itself is is a boxed-in approach. Right. Right. That by itself is not innovative because entrepreneurs could take place or entrepreneurship could take place in all ways all uh, uh, different ways, shapes, and forms. Right. Um, so, you know, how, how do you have that mentality and how do you pursue that lifestyle is going to dictate whether or not you have a successful career. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure whether, you know, people would want to create their own businesses. Um, some people just enjoy working in a, um, in a framework, right? Right. Um, having yeah. a nice six job and nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But as you're contributing to the organization, not only you um, understand that your work um, could benefit uh, or to promote the mission of the organization, but you also have to make sure that your work doesn't get obsolete, right? Because in, in this right. environment, I mean, it's very, very competitive. Yeah, I mean, take, take for example, if you're, if you're working and you are someone that just enjoys having the structure, you can still be entrepreneurial either in helping the company find a new way to promote this mission like you talked about. Or if you're part of, you know, an accounting team or a marketing team, just finding a way to make your team work better. Get to be able to take on more projects to get you know, have a quicker turnout rate of, of any work that you're creating. Even something like that is still, you know, by our definition, would still fall under that umbrella of entrepreneurship. Right. Um, I, I really enjoy the 
the protein chips that that we uh, yeah. <laughs> we discover recently, um, and I think that's really a brilliant approach, right? I mean, yeah, you know, I think the, the research uh, found that um, people like crunchy things. Yeah, right? it's the crunchy things that that makes you want to keep consuming, uh, eating the chips. Um, right, right. Um, and the, the the protein chips that we found the other day, um, what is is it gluten free? It's um, gluten free, peanut free, tree nut free. But it tastes so good. Oh, I love them, yeah. It tastes so thinking. good, and it's it's protein-based. It's not fried. It's baked. It's plant-based protein. Yeah, it's, yeah. Pl- it's plant-based protein. Um, and I really admire that kind of that kind of innovation. And it's trying to fill a void in the marketplace. I mean, who would argue that the snack market is not a red ocean? It is a red ocean. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, we, have, we, we, have, we have barbecue-flavored chips over there. That is yeah. definitely that, that's about the first thing from novel idea. But right. Finding a way to deliver that value to people that are gluten free, are are do have peanut tree nut allergies, right, right, that are looking for a healthier lifestyle. And a lot of people think that I'm not sure, uh, Joey, you, whether you've heard this example before. Um, um, I think it's by Andy Warhol, right? Okay. Andy Warhol argue that uh, Coca-Cola is the most democratic product in the world. Okay, because even the president of the United States cannot have a better Coke than the bum in the street. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, but a lot of people argue that, oh, you know, it, it is because of the Coca-Cola. It is because of the, the, the specific or special recipe and ingredients that Coca-Cola has right. that marks the success of Coca-Cola. I argue not. I'm, I'm not sure whether you would agree with, the, with this vintage point. I th- I said it's because that Coca Cola dominates the supply chain, mm-hmm. finds a way to deliver a very consistent consistent quality of product to people around the globe, making sure that they are accessible, making sure that everybody could have, you know, at least very very similar taste of Coca Cola. Some because some countries use cane sugar rather than oh, okay. uh, high fructose corn syrup, but at least the flavor is very, very consistent. Right. It's not the ingredients that, that marks the success. It's the whole supply chain management that mm-hmm. marks the Coca-Cola success. I'm not sure whether you agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. I mean, you, the, one of the things people want, you just get the, that consistent experience. Like that's, I think that's something that people really value. Yeah. Yeah. And, and talking about experience, um, again, I mean, do you really think that Starbucks coffee are worth, a, you know, 4 or $5? <laughs> You know, because no, our, our Keurig machine, you know, we spend what? Probably half dollar for that one cup of right. coffee, and we can make it large. Yeah. As yeah, large exactly. as we want, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and um, uh, Kevin O'Leary, uh, the, the, right. one of the hosts at Shark Tank, yeah. um, he, he actually said and made it on the record um, that he would never buy a Starbucks coffee because it's okay. too, too expensive. Yeah. You know, people rich like him. Would be cheap enough <laughs> not to shop at Starbucks at all, and I think that's I find that hilarious. Oh, right? I like that. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, because he argues that he could make the same coffee at twenty five cents at his house, um, yeah, and well. he he completely overlooks the uh, the experiences and the eliteness that Starbucks products uh, are providing, right? Right. And yeah. and you go to Asia, that experience is actually magnified um, yeah. in parts of Asia. Like yeah. for example, like you go to you go to China. You would um, be asked to pay pretty much the same amount of money getting the same cup of coffee 
as you were in the United States. Yeah, that was the case in Taiwan as well. Yeah. It was, you're paying American prices still. Yeah. And people don't understand the, the, the kind of the big deal out of it. Yeah. Because if you compare, I mean, what is the average GDP? GDP per capita in China is around 8,000, 9,000 US dollars per year. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the United States, that number is like, what, 52, $52,000? Yeah. Yet you are buying, you're paying the same to get the Starbucks coffee. Yeah. So that means that people in China are paying so much more in premium right. for that Starbucks experience. Is it the coffee that they're selling in no, Starbucks in China? Not. It's the experience that they're selling. It's the the smell and the sense of eliteness. Yeah, and you, and then you can argue that the, the novelty of that experience is there's a lot more places like a Starbucks in the United States as opposed to as opposed to China. Right, right, right. So how do we, you know, the question could be, for example, how do you leverage that, that uh, eliteness? Or how do you leverage that, uh, uh, how should I call it, without, without offending people? <laughs> meritocracy? Okay. Yeah. How do, you, how, do you, how do you leverage the meritocracy represented by the American culture? And maybe uh, we could find a way to export that to other countries and for our own benefits, right? I mean, I, th- I think that could be a, a very interesting entrepreneurial endeavor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, you know, take take uh, one industry that, that I have expertise in, uh, higher education, and you look at how right. all these foreign students that are interested in getting a, a U.S. degree, is it really because the substance of the U.S. education? I mean, people have been, people here in the United States have been criticizing our education system right. for such a long time, yet, you know the again the eliteness, um, the prestige mm-hmm. the U.S. education um, system carries still attracts so many people. Oh yeah, you know from all over the world. I mean, even you know in the height of pandemic, people are still taking online classes trying to get that U.S. degrees. Um, you know. Yeah, with the, with the number of student visa applications every year, it's there's right. a ton of demand. Could we extrapolate that to be? To make it an entrepreneurial endeavor, then? Oh, I'm I'm sure. I mean, right? Yeah. Is it is it is it the service that we're providing? Is it the product that we're providing? Well, not necessarily, right? I mean, we could, we could, um, you know, improve upon the process, right? Right. Um, it's the it's the value. Yeah. Don't get me prestige. wrong, Joey. I'm I'm not asking you to to try to start a school <laughs> or anything like that. Okay. Good. But good. I, I think that's just a very interesting observation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. What's your next step, Joey? I mean, being an entrepreneur, um, it, it seems like it's a life, it's, it's a lifelong journey. Um, do you ever see a stop? I don't. I, I don't think so. I mean, it's not the sort of it, you can retire from a career, but you can't retire a, a personality trait, a mindset, a spirit like that. You know, if you're if you do retire and everything like that, then you're you're still solving problems. Maybe it's fixing something up around the house or participating in community events, like being a leader in your in your in your community like that kind of thing but you're always i think i think you're you're hooked on that forever are you chasing money no no it's it's bigger than that it's it's wanting to solve problems and then hoping that you have the, the financial resources to support you on that pursuit i'm kind of different i think i'm chasing money <laughs> because i think i'm, I'm well I, I need to be a little bit more specific i think i'm i'm chasing validation yeah from yeah. the marketplace um i i, I want to be recognized in and validated by people who want to ser- who want to look for my service, right? Right. Yeah, and money just kind of follows that validation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think I subscribe to that mindset as well. So you know, it's not just 
for the my pure on its own. It's for you, you want more than that, not not less than money. You want more than just money. Like if somebody offers me just a right. a paycheck, no, no, I I want to know I'm making a difference. I want to know I'm right. solving a problem, and the money that follows. Like it's it's you want you want to go beyond just just one thing. I, I guess that's healthier. Um, you know, I I I, I need a you, you know. Um, make sure that I'm specific enough. Well, maybe not necessarily just money. I, I think it's the ability to organize resources, right? Yeah. Because yeah. with with money, you you get to finish your tasks in a probably more efficient way because you get to then move resources around in the way that you would like, mm -hmm. um, and that perhaps will help uh, with uh, your endeavor a little bit better. Um, and uh, with money, you can hire people that could complement uh, your abilities. So it goes back to what we talked about, uh, you know, acknowledging your weaknesses right. and how do you, you know, find the talents that complement you. Um, you know, uh, Chipotle, for example, I'm mm. not sure. What do you like Chipotle? I like Chipotle a lot. I'm a fan, yeah. Yeah, well, Chipotle was actually founded in the 90s. And, right. And uh, the person who founded, I forgot his name, but... Uh. He did not have any business background. He actually graduated yeah. from culinary school. Yeah, and he had like a he had like an interest in art, I think. Too. Yeah, yeah, and then then and then throughout the years, uh, you know, I really like the core mission and um, and the idea behind Chipotle. You know, their ingredients are always healthy, organic, and procure locally, right? Yep. yep. But throughout the years, um, you know, it it has had a fair amount of food safety issues. Right. That really right. plagued their operations. Yeah. Um, to a point that not only their bottom lines were, were being hurt tremendously, but people started losing uh, faith in their operation. So Chipotle lost the credibility yeah. in the marketplace. That's why I think they did such a good job of kind of like how they, they handled the like They stayed true to their, their brand. A lot right. of those food safety concerns were because they believed so much in the local supply chains. and right. So you get... It, it's easier for something to slip through the cracks when you yeah. operate that way. But they, you know, they owned it. They said, "This is what we believe in. We don't want to. Right. We don't want to have contaminated food that was that that's central to who they are." I think that's why they, overall at least, are, are forgiven by the marketplace. But it's such a difficult uh, business model to operate because yeah. think about how many f suppliers that you have to deal with. You oh know, yeah. Without a centralized yeah. system, right? You are dealing with all these different suppliers. Uh, because of the proximity uh, of the suppliers uh, to the local stores, right? Mm -hmm. And and when you're operate when you're operating at the at the national level, you lose control, right? Right. Um, and, and and that's what happened. And the reason why I mentioned Chipotle was because, you know, I think the final uh, the the founder finally realized and acknowledged his weakness of not having the business background. So in mm -hmm. 2018. Um, uh, I think Chipotle brought in the um, high-level executive from Taco Bell. Mm, right, right. And this guy came in, completely renovated the system. The first thing that they did was to introduce a uh, digital ordering system. Okay. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, you know, I, I seem to come across a, a figure that says that the money that they spent and invest, invested in the uh, digital transformation amounted to I think a, close to a billion dollars oh, wow. because not only you have to develop an app right this is a whole this is a whole like a delivery system in all the stores because now you know the stores need to get notified 
with your orders and they have to renovate the store shelves to have kind of like the the to-go counter uh, mm -hmm. so that when people come in they could just grab and go and I oh. think they're also delivering on the uh, uh, mobile uh, pickup lanes much like the drive-through but you could only order it through the app and then uh, when it's ready you could just drive through and pick up the order um, and so they did all that in 2018 mm -hmm. um, and they started experimenting that I think in 2019 and they have since uh, um, seen like, a tremendous growth mm. in the mobile mobile ordering had it not been the case I think they lucked out because yeah. had it not been the case in the <laughs> COVID moment you know how, how do they deal with that right so yeah. I think they, they completely lucked out. It also um, kind of reinforces my point of of arguing that when you recognize that your weakness, right. you know, having money is good because that, that allows you to bring the best talent that you could yeah. to, to really complement what you cannot do. Because, again, you cannot be all things all people. I cannot be all things all people. Right. right? And I think that, that would probably be the most important takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that was the random conversation that I had with Joey the other day. And uh, I, I, I thought that it's very interesting because we, we had some very interesting insights that we believe that will hopefully benefit you as, as uh, business owners or entrepreneurs. Yeah, I agree. I think we touched on some, you know, some important topics and really just kind of looked at, you know, what, what it means to really be an entrepreneur no matter what your professional aspirations are. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, see you next time. Bye.